You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. Titus surrounded the city, starved them out, finally broke down the gates, got in, burned the temple down. They slaughtered men, women, and children without conscience. And it was a horrible, horrible thing. But remember now, this was what Jesus predicted. He said, I'm telling you, not one stone is going to be left upon another of this temple. It's all going to be destroyed. And he predicted the destruction of Jerusalem in several different places. In the quest for discovering the meaning of life, it can be overwhelming to choose what to believe. Oftentimes, we see religion as a list of rules and old rituals. In today's message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that beyond rituals or doctrines, it's a personal connection with Jesus that brings depth and purpose to your life. Stop chasing the lies of this world and believe in something that will never fail you, Jesus. Rising above religious affiliations, the blood of Jesus is the only thing that matters. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 as he begins his message, Your Salvation. All right, 1 Peter. Everybody say 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Uh, now, the whole book of 1 Peter is comfort for the suffering. If you want to know what the overall major theme of 1 Peter is, it's comfort for the suffering. Peter is, is, is comforting people in the midst of red-hot persecution and a lot of issues going on. First nine verses, we're gonna look at your salvation. Everybody say, my salvation. salvation. Your salvation. So, a little bit of background on 1 Peter. Peter wrote this uh, first letter sometime around A.D. 64 and A.D. 67. Now, you gotta keep in mind that that's just a few years before the destruction of Jerusalem, which was a major deal, major event. Uh, Everything changed after that, everything. So Peter writes this just a few years before over a million Jews are slaughtered. Uh, Many Christians escape Jerusalem before the Roman army uh, seals them in. They escaped based on the words of Jesus who said, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, get out. It goes to show you when you obey Jesus, it can save your life. Amen? So they got out. They got into the mountains, and sadly, they they watched the whole city captured and over a million of their uh, blood brethren slaughtered, and everything changed. So he wrote it just before that. It was in the year A.D. 64 that a terrible fire had swept through Rome, uh, destroying totally Three of the 14 districts the city was divided into. So this was a major, major fire. And Nero was responsible, but he blamed, guess who? The church. Now that matters, because this is the backdrop of 1 Peter. He blamed the church. And he had Christians arrested. And he wrapped them in tar. Pitch combustible substance, put them on poles in his garden and lit them on fire. This is the backdrop of 1 Peter. Nero was a liar. He was demon-possessed, no doubt about it. 
He then launched a terrible persecution against God's people after he blamed the church. Life became dangerous for everybody who named the name of Christ. Uh, and it was likely during that time that Peter and Paul were martyred. I want you to note that under Nero, the two greatest men on the planet were killed. Under Nero. I would not want to face God with that resume. Amen? Peter was hung upside down on a cross. Paul was beheaded. To my mind, Paul, I want to be careful here because they were all great men, all the apostles, but Paul, to me, was the greatest man on the planet on the time for God. And he was decapitated. Now, not surprisingly, Nero committed suicide in A.D. 68, two years before Jerusalem fell. He was only 32 years old, so he did all of this before the ripe old age of 32. Yeah. In the 14th year of his reign, he ended it. No, no wonder. How can you do those horrible, wicked things and have any inner peace? Right? One year before his suicide in AD 67, a war broke out between the Romans and the Jews, uh, ending in the terrible destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. It was a, a, an increasingly intense battle. And finally, Titus surrounded the city, starved them out, finally broke down the gates, got in, burned the temple down. They slaughtered men, women, and children without conscience. And it was a horrible, horrible thing. But remember now, this was what Jesus predicted. He said, I'm telling you, not one stone is going to be left upon another of this temple. It's all going to be destroyed. And he predicted the destruction of Jerusalem in several different places. It happened just like he said. So, so Peter's first letter, get, get the picture now, is written against the backdrop of a very rapidly, radically changing world. Because when Jerusalem was destroyed, all the Mosaic system, all the Mosaic religion, they had, they had been raised in, and the temple was the center of their religious life. It was all gone. And the Jews were dispersed to the four corners of the earth, never to be regathered again until May 14, 1948. Everything changed. And Christianity, when he wrote this, was in crisis. He wrote his first epistle from Babylon. Now, he tells us that in uh, chapter 5, verse 13. And that was really a code name for Rome. So he wrote it more than likely from, from Rome. His heart was breaking for those that had been dispersed because of Nero's persecution. Because when Nero started killing people, raiding homes, slaughtering Christians, uh, they fled. It's called the dispersion. It wasn't the great diaspora that happened after the destruction of Jerusalem. But already the Jews were fleeing and the Christians were fleeing this persecution. So he hears about all these Christians that are dispersed and he writes to them and he writes to them to comfort them. That's why I want to study 1 Peter because how many of you can say, I need some comfort? Comfort from God. Come on, everybody. How many of you could stand some, some godly, divine comfort? Amen? So his heart is breaking for, for the Christians that are scattered. And so he writes to them. And, and uh, much like his master, Peter had learned to use powerful word pictures in the messages. So we're going to notice little phrases like this, uh, as sheep going astray. That's a word picture. 
Everybody say, bye. And you know what the one thing about sheep is, is true, and I'm a sheep too. They're not very bright, right? So, but he calls us sheep. And what do sheep always do? Going astray. So he says, as sheep going astray, he says, as newborn babes, there's another word picture, or as lively stones. That's another word picture. So he learned from Jesus how to speak that way. Uh, and I want us to keep in mind when we go through this letter, the personality of Peter. Peter was a larger-than-life kind of dude, right? Fisherman his whole life, salty, rough, tough, um, kind of gnarly. He was the last person you would pick to write First Peter. You got to stop and think about what God had done in his life to write these two letters that have, that have boggled great theological minds through the centuries. So God made him an intellectual, spiritual giant. But when he called him, he was just fisherman Peter. Done it his whole life. Follow me, Peter. Yeah, I'm going to make you to become. He says to you and me, follow me. I'm going to make you to become. Become what? What you would never have been without me. I'm going to make you to become. So keep in mind the personality of Peter and then the preeminence of Christ. Uh, Jesus naturally is the preeminent figure in his letters because Jesus was everything to Simon Peter. And nobody had been with him, very few, like Simon Peter had. He lived with him, walked with him, talked with him. Uh, Jesus had even shared his own home. And, and uh, he had healed his mother-in-law. Amen. So finally, you got to keep in mind the persecution of Nero, as I've already said. So personality of Peter, the preeminence of Christ, persecution of Nero, this diabolically evil man haunts this first letter. All right, he's there. You can read in between the lines. When Peter talks about the roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, he's thinking of Nero being used by Satan as Satan's roaring lion. Nero was bad news baby. Right? So here we go to verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now remember, we're going to be looking at words. Words matter. The word apostle means sent one. It's that simple. Everybody say sent one. You mean it doesn't mean anything more mystique or mystical than that? No, it means one that is sent. Now in New Testament times, the apostles were members of a unique and exclusive order of men. Okay? They had known Jesus during his earthly ministry. They had been eyewitnesses of his resurrection. There were 12 of them. Although the courtesy title of apostle is extended in the New Testament to one or two others like Paul. Paul was not of the original group. His ordination was bestowed directly on him by the ascended Lord. And uh, he was the exception, not the rule. But let me tell you something. People go around these days saying, I'm an apostle. Well, okay, what are you telling me? Let me tell you what I think. Uh, I don't think there's any more capital A apostles. Capital A. There can't be. Because the original word apostle referred to those that personally knew him, personally followed him, personally witnessed his resurrection, were personally there. 
Several of them wrote the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So, dear church, there's no more of those capital A apostles. I'm sorry if that offends you. Well, I know somebody that says they're an apostle. Well, great, they're a sent one. I'm a sent one. I've been sent here. If he hadn't sent me, I wouldn't be looking at you right now. But am I a capital A apostle? No way. No way. I, I, you can be a, a little A apostle, but that just means you've been sent. These people go around, they love the title. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, I'm all of them wrapped up in one. I am God's gift to mankind. No, let me tell you something. Just call me pastor. I don't, I don't want to be called anything else. If you want to call me Jeff, that's okay too, although I, pastor's good. But apostle, no. I've built three churches. That doesn't make me a capital A apostle. You know why? I wasn't there to see him in person. I didn't write part of the New Testament. I didn't personally witness his resurrection. These people that want these self-important titles, always look at them askance. Y'all are being very quiet. Better watch out. I'm just throwing that out free. You can chew the meat and spit out the bones. All right. Of the original 12, without Paul, Peter was the obvious leader. Uh, in in uh, every description of the apostles, he comes first. The apostles were the custodians of the gospel and the teachings of Christ as delivered by the Holy Spirit. They were the custodians. They gave us the foundation of the church. So when somebody says, I'm an apostle, and I'm going to lay the foundation of the church, I want to say, wait a minute, the foundation of the church was laid 20 centuries ago. The house is already built. You don't tear down the house and relay a foundation. We've already got it. In Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, the foundation is there. And it cannot be changed. That's right. They performed great miracles, and they wielded enormous power and prestige in the early church community. That's the original capital A apostles. Now, Peter's first letter, target audience, is the second half, verse 1, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Dispersion means the scattered. Have you noticed how COVID scattered us? There were, there were certain people staring at me every week before COVID, and now they're not staring at me anymore after COVID. There was a scattering. And if you're still sitting at home, you need to get out of home and get back in church. That's free. Now, the various provinces that he names, uh, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, so on, they are provinces of Asia Minor. We tend to associate these regions with Paul's ministry. And Peter must have gotten wind that they were also experiencing fallout from the terrible persecution of Nero. And they had been scattered, uprooted. Um, lost everything near and dear and familiar. That's the ones he's writing to. Have you felt that way lately? Listen to verse 2. Now here comes some big million-dollar theological words. Elect. Everybody say elect. According to the, here's the second one, foreknowledge. Say foreknowledge. Let's try together. Elect foreknowledge. Those are million-dollar theological words, and I'm going to explain them. 
The foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what elect means. We who believe were elected by God according to his foreknowledge. But stop now. Follow me. Track with me. I'm not saying some are called to salvation, the elect, and others to damnation, the non-elect. Now, for those of you that lean towards Calvinism, I'm very sorry I'm going to poke a needle in your balloon. Because when he says elect and foreknowledge, he's not saying by using the word elect that God picked you to be saved for whatever reason, but he did not pick somebody else. So you're going to be saved no matter what, and the person he didn't elect is going to be lost no matter what. No. Whosoever will, let him call upon the name of the Lord. It is not God's will that any should perish, but all, everybody say all, should come to the knowledge of the truth. All right, so he's, th that verse or that word is not saying there's no choice because there is a choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose, right? Now, through God's omniscience, here's what it means. He knew you would come to him. He knew. God's never surprised. He never turns to Jesus and says, can you believe they came? Who would have ever thunk it, Jesus? Come on. No, he never sits in heaven and says, I can't believe it. God never says, well, I'll be. No. Let me tell you, you go out, you go out and you say, last night I found the Lord. No, you didn't. Last night the Lord found you. He convicted you and drew you. But you did make a choice. Now, here's, here's what elect means. Here's a door right here. Here's a great big stately door. I, as I approach it, it says, whosoever will, let him come. I hear the gospel. I say, well, I'm a whosoever, so I'm going to go through the door. And I open it, and I go through, and I close it. And I notice it says something on the other side. I knew you were coming all the time. I knew you were coming. I knew you were going to come. So therefore, I elected that when you come to my son, I'm going to bless you with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. I'm going to give you eternal life. Amen? So it's not this irresistible salvation or irresistible lostness. In other words, I have no choice in the matter. But no, when you choose, it just never shocks God. There may be people in your life that are shocked to this day that you got saved, but not God. So he planned ahead of time for you to enjoy the benefits of salvation and ultimately eternal life, that you would be sanctified by the Spirit and saved by the blood. Can we thank God for our salvation right now? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If I didn't believe that every person can be saved, I don't know that I could get up here another Sunday and preach. No, I got to know when they hear that gospel and the Holy Spirit touches them and they feel conviction that anybody can be saved. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has 
begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now that word begotten is loaded. It's pregnant with meaning, okay? It means new birth, born again. He has begotten you. You, you have literally been in the spirit conceived by God. You're born again. That threw Nicodemus, the great teacher of Israel, when Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, I'm telling you that you're going to have to be born again. He said, how can I be born again? Crawl into my mother's womb again? Or what are you talking about, Jesus? Jesus said, you've got to be born of the water and of the spirit. You've got to be born twice. First time you're born, the water breaks in the mother and the baby is born. Born of water, then you've got to be born of the spirit. Second time, get saved again. That are born again uh, and come to Christ and experience that new nature. If any man be in Christ, any woman be in Christ, they are a brand new creation of God. Okay? So we're born again to a living hope, begotten unto a living hope. Now, when you study the epistles of Paul, John, and Peter, you'll find they all had a favorite word. They really do. They, have, they all have a favorite they use more than any other. Let me tell you what they were. Paul's favorite word, what do you think it was? Faith. Everybody say faith. faith. By grace you are saved through, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. Now that was Paul's favorite word. You'll see him say it over and over again. He's huge on faith. We're saved by faith, not by works. That was his mantra. John's favorite word, what do you think it is? My little children love one another. John loved love. And you can't read first or second or third John without coming across it over and over again. Peter's favorite word was hope. And interestingly, in the Bible, faith, hope, and love are the most popular trilogy of words. Faith, hope, and love. So through Paul, you're going to hear about faith. Through John, you're going to hear about love. Through Peter, you're going to hear about living hope. Peter calls our hope living. Hope always has the future in mind. Hope, when you've got hope, you have a confident expectation that something good is coming towards you in the future. You don't wake up and dread the future. You wake up and you're excited about the future. What is God going to do next? What door is he going to open? Uh, what is the Holy Spirit going to show me next time? Uh, you know, you're excited when you wake up. You've got a reason to live. That's why hope is the oxygen of the soul. You can't live without hope. I can't live without hope. Oh, I can, my heart can beat, but I will die on the inside as a human being without hope. Got to breathe it spiritually. The believer's great hope ultimately is this, triumphant rapture to glory. The rapture is coming. The rapture of the church is coming. Jesus is coming again. All right, do you hope for that? Do you hope for that? You know, there are churches in America and around the world that if you went in there and you preached on the second coming of Christ, they would give you the boot and tell you, we don't go there anymore. We don't believe that anymore. We just want to do good things for people. And they take away the great hope. Our great hope is that a trumpet's going to blow. 
What a powerful message from Pastor Jeff. In today's message, he showed us the mission of sharing God's good news with the whole world. Experience growth in your faith like never before when you actively proclaim the message of God's love, grace, and redemption. Discover the joy and fulfillment that come from being a messenger of hope to those who are seeking it. Let the urgency of sharing God's good news be a driving force, spreading the power of His love. Hi everybody, this is Pastor Jeff Wickwire from Hardwired, and I've got something really special to share with you. For a gift of $20 or more, we're gonna send you a beautiful hardwired pen and a bright LED flashlight with an attached keychain. It's blue in color and bordered in copper, and it's very pretty. It's our gift to you for supporting Hardwired. The set also contains a built-in stylus for your touchscreen devices. So to claim your gift set, visit our website at hardwire.org and just donate $20 or more. Click the Donate Now button in the top right corner. And thanks so much for being a part of the Hardwired family. And I assure you, every dollar that comes in is going to go straight to reaching the world with the Word of God. Have a blessed week. In his next message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that you need to let your faith shine through you. If you're a Christian and people around you don't even know about it, that isn't the heart of God. You are called to get in the game, not sit on the sidelines. Like the North Star, let your faith be guiding light for those who are lost and weary. Let the light of your faith radiate outward, illuminating the lives of those around you. Be a difference maker for God's kingdom. That's all we have for today's edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you can download it from our website, hardwired.org. Be sure to tune in again as Pastor Jeff continues teaching through the book of 1 Peter next time on Hardwired.